0: Welcome to the Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between. It's Thursday, so we're here at the Commonwealth Club with my co-host, John Zipper. We're here every Thursday to tape for Progressive Voices Network. Our guest today is Samina Usman, who is the Government Relations Coordinator for CARE, Council uh, on uh, uh, American-Islamic Relations. So, Samina, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, let's just... Jump right into it. I've been thinking about this for a long time. But I know that there's a growing conversation around sanctuary city, sanctuary policies, and like what what that actually means. Now, uh, we wanted to talk to you specifically about Berkeley. We've done uh, many conversations here on the program about San Francisco. Um, But with Berkeley, Berkeley's sanctuary policy started in 1971. Uh, and just recently, a couple months ago, it was in the news or headlines in which there's a sanctuary ordinance or a vote that's coming up. And so, I think you know, let's start with the the, the idea of a sanctuary city in general for our audience. I mean, many people uh, generalize a sanctuary city by saying that it's a city that protects immigrants and does not want to work with. You know, the federal government or ICE. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear from you if we could just dial it all the way back. And when a city becomes a sanctuary city, what does that mean?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, actually, initially for Berkeley, when they became a sanctuary city, it was initially regarding the war and, and those who um, did not want to participate in the war. And so, um, but in, in terms of it turning into what we know of as today, you know, as a sanctuary city, what's really interesting is that. The sanctuary city concept is different for different cities. There is no one, you know, idea of what a sanctuary city is because like I believe Chicago has it that, you know, you you they would not um, I mean Chicago has it different than, you know, other cities. Um, my understanding is that the first real sanctuary city, in the way that we believe it to be, is uh, was in, I believe, National City in Southern California, mm-hmm. and uh, and I just was told that by a care rep in San Diego, so she was quite proud of that, <laughs> but um, but yes, um, in terms of you know what it is, um, in the Bay Area is more like we will not have. Um, law enforcement uh, inform ICE or immigration services of if there is somebody who is undocumented who has been detained. Um, The belief is that they're, you know, under um, the Tenth Amendment, um, the cities are not going to be um, liable or they're not going to be carrying out the work of federal government. That's where we have the the separation of, uh, you know, of federal government agencies and local government. And so, you know, and and, and it's actually quite costly because what happens is that uh, if there is somebody detained and it turns out that they are not documented, what ICE does is that they put out a detainer request to ask the city, hey, keep them for another 48 hours in in the prison so that we can come and, you know, take them away. Now, um, the thing is that again, it becomes costly because local law enforcement isn't they're not even reimbursed for the time that um, these people are kept for that remaining amount of time and then in addition you know it, it's again it's making the communities um, feel scared of approaching law enforcement for anything so let's just say if there is uh, a person who you know some some really bad guy in the community that is um, preying upon or or committing terrible acts and, you know, hurting women, you know, dealing drugs, you know, killing people, X, Y, Z. Now, if I was undocumented, would I feel comfortable approaching law enforcement and saying, you know, hey, there's this really bad guy. You should actually, you know, go and look into this or arrest him or whatever. No, because the fear is that if I go and tell law enforcement that there's this really bad guy, please protect our community from him. I might actually get questioned. What's your name? Who are you? What you know? What you know? Uh, and then and then have my documentation status looked into. And that's what actually has happened. We've had cases of there was a woman. She was um you know under she was enduring domestic violence um, from her her partner, and she reported it to police. And lo and behold, who gets deported? It's the woman who's getting abused, not mm-hmm. the person who was conducting the abuse. So that creates a lot of fear in our communities where where people are are afraid to approach law enforcement for Help or to actually, you know, give a tip for something, Um, and and especially if you have 12 million people in this country um, who are undocumented, that's a sizable number of our community that would not feel safe to to talk to law enforcement. So honestly, you know, sanctuary cities is what keeps us safe. It actually um, it helps to you know build that relationship with law enforcement, and and um, I mean, there's already so much uh, fear of law enforcement, and and to know that they. might be actually, you know, deporting people or in, or engaged in the whole deportation process, that even makes it even more scary for people to want to even approach law enforcement.
2: So obviously we're in a time with a national administration, a federal administration that takes a very different view of this. Um, and I don't think any presidential administration is thrilled with sanctuary cities, though they've tended to be ignored or not at different levels with different administrations. Currently, it's been a hot topic and a pressure point from the current president. Um, Are we seeing any cities that are rescinding or weakening their sanctuary uh, ordinances? Or are others, obviously, in the Bay Area, you see them more likely to be strengthening them as an act of defiance, even if they're not much actual substance in the changes. What are you seeing?
1: So what's happening is that the federal government has been threatening to withhold um, funds to local cities or states if they have a sanctuary city policy, even if they don't even have a policy, um, um, like a stated policy that we are a sanctuary city, if there are um, some cities that call themselves welcoming cities, they are also threatened by the federal administration. Now, there are a number of uh, lawsuits um, that have been filed, including with San Francisco and um, Santa Clara County, where there have been um, where they're saying no. You know that's in violation of the um, agreed upon you know funds that are supposed to be given to those cities and counties. You can't just say, hey, I don't like your policy. I'm going to go and, and take away those funds. Um, and so that is in in the courts, and and I believe different lawsuits have had different um you know outcomes um but my understanding is that um the city and uh, the santa Clara county and san francisco um, county have have won that and i believe it's it's going on to further further on yeah if you're having different courts
2: having different outcomes sooner or later it's going to go to uh neil gorsuch (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) exactly and that's what's the the fear but yeah um, i mean you know ultimately from my understanding that uh, that that they all, have all succeeded um, in some way or another. Now, um, to answer your question in terms of our cities or counties um, weakening their sanctuary um, policies, now we have, uh, actually it's interesting, today we're having um, Santa Clara County. Um, there is a, a discussion uh, today, and I believe it's in the Public Safety Committee, as to whether or not they should weaken their their stance on on their protections of um, those who are undocumented. Um, so Santa Clara County, even though they have been at the forefront of providing those protections and saying we are not going to comply with you know sharing that type of information with with, uh, with uh, federal immigration agencies, um, there has been a push from uh, San Jose and also um, a number of sheriffs that have signed on to uh, a statement saying we need to. Um, um, We need to rethink our policies. Even though technically Santa Clara County is not considered a sanctuary county per se, those type of protections, they do have that in place. Mm-hmm. Now, um, so, so today it is uh, going to the Public Safety Committee, um, and uh, and then I believe it's going to be coming for before a vote, uh, likely on Tuesday. Um, and, you know, you have had, what's interesting is you have had some of the strongest proponents of these protections, such as uh, Supervisor Cortese, he had made a statement saying that maybe we need to, to rethink this. Um, obviously, you have a number of immigrant rights. Groups who are saying no. You know, we we need to keep these protections strong. We should not go back on it. Um, you know, what what the cities are trying to say is that we should follow uh, SB 54, the the, uh, the the levels of protections that SB 54. Um, which was passed, uh, was it last year? <laughs> well, I'm I'll like, time yes. is just, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's hard to remember. It's like, I, I can't even remember yesterday, but, anyway, but yeah, so they, uh, it, it's, uh, they're trying to go back to, to those levels and, um, which, which provide, um, weaker protections and even have some misdemeanors that could, um, you know, trigger the letting federal immigration agencies know about, um, if there is somebody who's undocumented, in the jail.
0: To expand on that, uh, and the question of our, our cities becoming, you know, concerned or trying to weaken their policies, the the media and the federal government, um, and certain individuals, and even you know people from some law enforcement in small towns like Newman, California, that just experienced a situation and it was you know big deal in the news about an undocumented person who had killed a police. Officer, And then the Kate Steinle case in San Francisco that involved another undocumented person and an an alleged, you know, accidental gunshot that killed Kate Steinle. These types of cases have garnered a lot of media attention. And I'm wondering, is the 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 impact of those cases and how that has shaped people's thoughts and minds and trying, you know, walking back on. Sanctuary policies,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, and it's it's you know um, usually these these terrible cases of you know innocent people who might be who would be um, attacked or killed by those who are undocumented. That. That often pushes people um, in the direction of, hey, you know, we need to rethink our policies, such as what happened in Santa Clara County and what's being debated currently today, um, where a woman, she was killed um, in in the South Bay uh, by somebody who is undocumented. Um, So, you know, I, I understand that people are trying to find ways to keep our cities and counties safer, but this is definitely not the strategy to go by. Because, you know, again, as I mentioned that, you know, if people are going to be more afraid of approaching law enforcement, then you're going to have the you know, these, these actual bad elements just continue to carry out whatever things that they want to carry out. And they're actually going to prey on the immigrant communities because they know that these immigrant communities are not going to um, rat them out because, you know, they're not going to report it because they're so afraid of uh, law enforcement. Um, I mean, again, there's already this fear of law enforcement. and And to have this extra element there, it makes it, you know, far worse. And so this is not the way to go to make it, our city It's just safer. interesting
0: because when you see law enforcement, you know, in the, the the press briefings after a tragedy like that, then it almost becomes like we can't take the blame because uh, we've notified ICE, you know, three times or ICE or ICE will say we've notified, you know, this local law enforcement so many times that they should be deported and they didn't act because of a sanctuary policy. It becomes so difficult to... To argue outside of that and and to argue for protecting immigrant rights, so going back to berkeley 's um, new sanctuary uh, ordinance that they 're trying to vote on, what this basically does is takes it a step further in and uh, we 're going to defer to you to kind of explain the specifics of it, but from what I understand, it would limit contracts with vendors who have programs software, database that shares information. Mm. Um, so I'd love for you to, to talk about that, because if we, we actually do, let's say Berkeley becomes a model for many other cities who want to be protective of immigrant rights, and that takes away from ICE's efforts, uh, you know, I, I'm just wondering from my inquisitive mind mm-hmm. how they're, they'll be able to argue, like, see, the, the limiting of us being able to work with law enforcement in this way is what's keeping you know, the illegal activity from continuing in our country.
1: Mm -hmm. So actually, let me just take a a step back um, um, because I I do want to mention that in um, Supervisor Santa Clara County Supervisor Cortese's statement, he did also mention that, look, ICE does have a mechanism in order to get that information. They have access to that information and they can actually um, um, get a a warrant out for this person's arrest, but they have decided to take the easier route and use these detainer requests um, instead to hold... Uh, people in those those jails um and that is is not the way to go i mean they have that they have access to and they have the ability to do that, but they're not using that. So, so, you know, that makes me question, why is it that if ICE really wants to, to, you know, detain these guys further, um, and if they want to arrest, you know, folks for for deportation, why are they not using the tools that they already have? Mm. So making this change is not going to, you know, really make the difference. And also in the case of the person who was killed in the South Bay, from my understanding is that he was held for for a nonviolent crime, so even whatever change that they want to propose would not have saved this person. Um, You know, if if somebody who is undocumented has served their time um, in jail, they should not have to then, once their time is finished, then be you know afraid of getting picked up right when they're about to be released. And you have um, immigration services that are literally waiting outside of these jails, waiting to to pick them up once they've served their time and have them deported. I mean, it's tearing apart families, um, and this is going to cause further damage to to, to communities. Now, in terms of the your question you were asking about the Berkeley um, sanctuary contracting ordinance, um, I, I um, I'm not sure if you're aware, but actually in Richmond we had that passed mm-hmm. um, last year, and Richmond agreed to you know to to pass this um, this this um, bill which is similar or this ordinance which is similar, which um, which says that uh, and for Berkeley's it says that um, the city will not be contracting with. Um, companies that will be sharing information with immigration law enforcement, and I think that the the this is basically like an economic boycott of um, these agencies like Palantir or. Um, Right now, it's just it's it's escaping me right now. But but there's a number of um, companies that would share that information. Now here's the the uh, some cities are like oh you know this is going to be costly for us. We're going to have to change this over. You know, um, but you know what? He, it, it, there are alternatives. It's not as though they are stuck with with one or two vendors. There are alternatives there. And what's great about the way that the ordinance is written is that look you know if there are no viable alternatives and they're able to show that there's no viable alternatives, then um, then there could be a waiver granted for that. But again, it's having this discussion, having the whole um, open process in order to allow for the uh, you know to make the decision on on which you know um, vendors we're going to be using. I think that's what's really important, um, and and to make sure that our community is protected. We don't want our uh, cities. You know, to be compliant in sharing information of our most vulnerable communities, um, you know, with these immigration agencies. Now, we have... um you know the, the the other element to that ordinance is that it also will prevent the city to be um, doing business with companies that are involved with extreme vetting programs. Mm-hmm. Now um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but what it is is that I mean the the Trump administration had tried to to push this. This idea of extreme vetting that if you are going to be coming into this country, then, you know, your social media, all of your social, you know, inf- your electronic information will be um, monitored and looked through um, to see whether or not you're a potential threat for our country. Now, um, that is one. It doesn't work because there's so many false positives that come about. Um and you're, you're going to end up turning away people who have, a, who, who have gone through the proper process and, and, you know, we're trying to just you know, come and visit their grandchildren, you know, but they're right. not able to come because either something was, um, misinterpreted or, um, and again, there's so many false positives that come about. Um, especially if, uh, if, if one is, you know, speaking a different language, um, it's easy to misinterpret that. So again, that whole process doesn't work. And it's also being, Used to target more um, people from from countries that are you know from from Muslim majority countries. Right. Um, so so it's a, a racist xenophobic method that would be used in order to prevent you know folks from coming in and and maybe i guess as donald trump wants he wants more people from denmark so
0: <laughs> we're going to get to um the question about the impact of you know some of all these these immigration policies and where the federal government's at and how that has impacted the muslim american community and Muslim community around the world in, in the, the travel policies. Uh, but I'm going to throw to John for a chance. Your I was turn. just
2: going to ask, how many companies are we actually talking about? Because I think some people hearing this would still be thinking, well, how many companies are actually giving in data to ICE or are somehow involved in extreme vetting? Mm-hmm. So is this, a, a, you know, how significant of an ordinance is this or how how? What, what is the universe of companies that could be affected or not?
1: Mm-hmm. So uh, I can't really quote that off, off the top of my head, but I'm. Um, I think they are in the in the dozens. Um, however, for Berkeley, my understanding is that there's only two. Uh, companies that might be you know subject uh, to that um, but again it's only for um, future contracts it's not for existing right, contracts right. so so that would not change anything because of course then you have a whole other legal issue that you have to deal with in, in terms of you know you, we, we're not going to be breaking contracts um, so so again these are just for for future contracts or for contracts that are going to be renewed um, so for for you know Berkeley again it's not it's only for a couple contracts but uh, not it's it's not going to be like, oh, you know, everything now has to be um, rethought of. And there are alternatives as well. Yeah,
0: yeah I would have guessed that, you know, if you look at it from the dollar amount, and you had mentioned it before, you know, this is about um, economic power as well. And these cities being able to take control and, and bring it back, you know, on a local level. Even if you just look at one d- detention center, for example, because I know that in Richmond um you know a lot of the mm-hmm. conversations were growing around the detention center in Richmond where we could you could cancel these contracts as these guys are making boatloads of money. So from your opinion, you know, to sure, uh, Berkeley, small city, small, small little tiny, you know, city like that, but a uh, couple vendors, we're talking, I'm sure of it, millions of dollars that could be impacted. But again, it's not going to be canceling any of those, no. those contracts. It's just going to be not, either not renewing
1: them or, um, you know, fine, yeah, not renewing those contracts. Um, but again, it'll be going forward, not getting into contracts with those who are engaged. And again, we are, we're standing by our values. We're standing by our principles and and making sure that, you know, we, we know, uh, again, we can call ourselves, oh, we're a sanctuary city, but, you know, what does that, again, what does that mean? Does and that we want to yeah. make sure that we're not just, it's not all fluff. It actually will have some teeth to it. Um, and so that's why, you know, we, we, we want to make sure that our most vulnerable communities are going to be uh, protected and that families are going to be kept together. And that's what this really at the forefront, I mean, families have been torn apart. It has caused terror for, for children who are going to school and wondering whether or not they're going to see their fathers or their mothers when they get home. Um, it's, it's, um, what really needs to be uh, changed is uh, to, to make sure that we have meaningful, comprehensive immigration reform. That is what's going to be the, the real solution to the problem, not by deporting 12 million, not by uh, breaking families apart.
0: Um, You mentioned companies a little bit ago. I want to ask you about that. So, you know, the Bay Area is home to the largest tech companies in the world and also uh, home to big, big data gathering tech companies, right? Like Mm -hmm. Google um, and, and a company like Amazon are, well...
2: Yeah, Amazon yeah. would be one of yeah. them. Yeah,
1: uh-huh. and uh,
0: Salesforce, and so I, I, I wanted to get your thoughts, Oracle, right, on these companies, and 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 trying to to also uh, mm-hmm. understand, uh, make sense of it, because we, you're right, we stand on this platform like the Bay Area, sanctuary, you know, area, sanctuary cities, and our politicians, our elected officials, are very proud of that. But when we do business, mm-hmm. and we are supporting some of these companies, who also stand on a platform to, to that level but when you how do you reconcile um, supportive companies like you know Google like Amazon who are investing in you know facial recognition software or supplying or having contracts with ice that allows for them to gather the database you know even easier um, and and that there's there's room for it to also you know, there's flaws and, and for it to be false and where you're, you're basically rounding up people mm-hmm. um, and collected in this cloud or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to get your thoughts on, on that.
1: Yeah. And, and that's a really great point, because a lot of these companies or some of these companies are based in the Bay Area. I mean, you have Palantir. That's, uh, I believe, in the peninsula. Um, so so, you know, a, a lot of electeds might be worried about okay i don't want to step on their toes because you know that is based in our district and you know and again i don't want to make claims that it has anything to do with campaign donations but at the same time one does think okay you know if these are companies that are housed in our districts how would that how is that going to impact in terms of jobs or, or whatnot but again we need to stand by our principles and stand by our values and make sure that we are are going to follow through with them instead of just you know talking fluff um now are mentioning about amazon i mean yeah you know that's one of the one of the the things that they are are trying to create or have created is the recognition software uh so this facial recognition software where they um um are are, are trying to get law enforcement to purchase this new software now um what's interesting is that aclu did a study of that Amazon recognition, that's with a K by the way, uh, recognition software. And uh, they found uh, that when they did, when they tried to see, okay, let's try to match um, or or find any of the flaws, they found uh, that I think 26 or 28 members of Congress were matched (laughs) with. folks who were in prison or mug, with mugshots. So again, <laughs> it is a flawed system. If you're going to find 26 or 28 members of Congress and you're going to match them with, with mugshots. Now, um, what was interesting about, uh, facial recognition software is that, uh, the, you know, if you are a white male, yeah, chances are in may do better in terms of matching one up with, uh, with potential mugshots, But, um, if you are an Afri- African-American woman, 35% of uh, the, the searches um, that come up turn out to be false or turn out to be um, have flaws. And so uh, that 35% is a really high number. Um, and so if we are going to be having law enforcement using that facial recognition software um, and, and having that information also shared with immigration services, And having so many, you know, potential flaws, and on top of that, having issues with law enforcement using deadly force, um, it is a really scary prospect. uh, Mm -hmm. Because if you do have these false positives, and then, you know, it shows up, oh, this person turns out to be a felon, and then it turns out to be a person of color, you know, maybe chances are more that they might end up, police might be using more use of force. I mean, I'm just talking about statistics here, and you know what is, um, you know, the trends of law enforcement use of force, and, and it's a really scary prospect to to have that um, be used more and more by our, um, but you know, by our law enforcement, and if they're you know dealing with mm-hmm. local immigration enforcement. I'm sorry, immigration. Services again, Amazon has plenty of other ways in order to make their money. Why in the world are they engaged in this facial recognition <laughs> software? It does end working with law enforcement for this, it doesn't make our community safer. Let's have Amazon make their billions elsewhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying they're not exactly a poor
1: company, <laughs> no, not quite. John,
2: I was just going to get into you mentioned the state bill on sanctuary. Mm-hmm. Talk a bit more about that. Did that do much or? When you go kind of a l- larger scale like that, do you water down stuff so much?
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that was that was a lot of the debate um, with uh, the w- with the state bill. Now again, it was it was last year or the year before. Again, my memory's not getting a little fuzzy, but um, but yeah. So in terms of the the, the state bill, um, you know, it it did end up getting watered down to um, make sure that some I think it was like violent or, or some felonies or some. Um, if one was uh, convicted of that or misdemeanors, then that would the, uh, SB fifty four would not apply, um, and and that information would be shared with immigration enforcement. Um, so so I know a lot of folks were like, okay, so what is you know what makes a, a you know good immigrant from a bad immigrant? Again, if somebody served their time, why should they have to then be targeted yet again and be and be uh, um, deported. Um, you know, there, there's this whole concept of uh, um which is again mm-hmm. focusing on on uh, or trying to separate. Okay, who's the good immigrant from the bad immigrant? And a lot of people are like, okay, why are we always, you know, when we're trying to talk about the situation of those who are undocumented, we're always pushing like, you know, cute little children at the forefront. Oh, this is what it is impacted. Why are we? Why are we making that that the differentiation between you know, what's considered a good and a bad immigrant. We want to make sure that we protect all. And um, if you've served your time, you've served your time. Mm-hmm. You know, that mm-hmm. that's it. We, again, the real issue is a broken immigration system. It's a, um, and also, and then there's a whole other issue if we want to talk about what our country is doing in, in, in our country's efforts or our country's actions in. Other countries in South America that might be fueling the the rush of, of people fleeing, right. um, you know, due to war, due to uh, the destabilization of other countries, uh, that can't be separated from the argument and the discussion as well. Right. But I don't think we have time
0: for that. <laughs> uh, we, that's a two-part series <laughs> yes. or, you know, the whole conference we could do about that topic I do want to talk to you about, you know, the Muslim American community in, in the United States as well as Muslim countries and Muslim communities around the world who are impacted by America's uh, new travel policies, by this president, and, you know, the sentiments from his anti-immigration attitude and his administration, the, the shebang. And, you know, since he has been elected as president in 2017, the first executive order that he signed, as we know— um, is the, what they called it the muslim tra- travel ban. Mm-hmm. And since then we've seen the you know courts um, fight back as uh, and the ACLU fight back and and then you know eventually the president got some version of what he wanted. Mm-hmm. And my question really is about hearing from you and from CARE and the and many other organizations who are working to protect the muslim american community as well as Muslim communities outside of our country, how has, how's it, how has it all impacted the communities in a lot of ways? Mm-hmm. I think the media will tell you it is a scary world out there for Muslims. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd love to hear from, from you.
1: No, I mean, you know, absolutely. Since this administration, actually even, let's just say even before the administration, before the Trump administration went into effect, um, we've seen a dramatic increase in hate incidences against the Muslim American community as um, other communities, you know, Latino community, LGBTQ community, the Jewish community, you know, African American. So, I mean, you, you've seen um, this um, increase in hate incidences. If you, uh, like, because of all the rhetoric of um, Trump and... and and some of the other conservative folks who are running for office and really creating that climate of fear. And and usually, you know, what's interesting is that during elections – um, we always see an uptick in hate incidences that occur against, um, you know, minority communities. Uh, uh, you know, even when the, uh, President Obama was you know, getting elected both times, um, you would see this uptick. But definitely, we saw uh, more so with this uh, this 2016 election. Even on election day or night, we had um, in the South Bay a woman; she was choked with her own hijab. Um, you, in the, at San Jose State, you had a woman who was pushed in front of an oncoming Muni train. You've had, you know, people who were attacked even at UC Berkeley. So, so we have seen this even in liberal, progressive northern or the Bay Area. Um, we're seeing the, these type of cases now. Um, What we found is when we look at the statistics uh, of cases that have come to our office, so again, what our office does is that we provide free legal services to those who are uh, facing uh, discrimination, hate crimes, um, school bullying, FBI harassment, uh, and now we also offer immigration services. So um, across California, we we put together a report every year, and you can find it on our website um, at ca.care.com. but but um, we found that the, the the numbers of cases that have come to our office between 2016 and 2017 saw an 82 percent increase in hate incidences that have affected the Muslim American community in California. Now again, these are just reported cases. they are probably far more than um, more cases than than um, have been reported to our offices. Uh, however, we definitely have seen that this increase um, in incidences. Uh, now, first and foremost, the, the, the majority of the cases that came to our office had were travel related. And this, of course, had to do with the um, Trump's Muslim travel ban. Um, sec- but the second number of cases had to do with hate incidences. And then the third had to do with law enforcement issues. But again, in terms of the, the travel ban, when that came into effect... We received so many calls that would just come into our office, either by people who were impacted or even those who were not even impacted. Mm-hmm. They were worried, "Hey, if I go to Pakistan, um, will I be able to come back? You know, because you never know what Trump is going to tweet at 3 a.m. in the morning. You know, mm-hmm. you never know, um, because I don't. I don't even think he knows what he's going to do. So, so um, y- y- you know, people were really worried, um, really scared as to. You know, to to what they were going to do. Now, we've seen a number of cases of families who are torn apart, um people who are from we have a significant Yemeni community here in mm-hmm. uh, in both San Francisco and Oakland and Richmond. um Hayward, you know, a number of Yemeni community members whose families have just been torn torn apart. Um we've even seen cases of uh, of like people who got married, but they th- th- then the travel ban mm-hmm. came out. And then they haven't even, the couple hasn't even ever been able to live together. And it's been two years and they're like, we should, we're considering divorce because we've never lived together. So what are we going to do? Or you have families who are stuck in Yemen and then can't come in. into the states, so one of the the more visible cases um, was the case of uh, Shema Suela, mm-hmm. whose uh, two year old son had a you know medical issue, and he came to the states with his American um, citizen father uh, to get that medical treatment. And for eight months, uh, Shema has been trying to make appeal over after appeal to come into this country. And they were um, either ignored or denied. Uh, I think she made 26 or 28 appeals, and, and that was not fulfilled. Finally, she, the, the father called our office, and actually I was the one who picked up the call, and he told me about this. And even though I know about all these cases, the Muslim, the Muslim travel ban cases, I was so shocked. I'm like, this can't happen. And I'm like, oh, obviously it did. And, and um, we, we referred it to... Um, so both our office and also the Sacramento Valley office um, were working on this, and then we also partnered up with a number of of other organizations to get the word out and to get a petition going uh, to get and I believe like thirty thousand or so uh, letters were coming in from across the country, even internationally. But but you know to to try to appeal for her to be able to come into this country, and finally after these thirty thousand plus whatever letters. Plus, also working with our elected officials, we were able to to have her come into the country and be able to see her son ten days before he died. I mean, ten day. I mean, like I, uh, you know, I can't even imagine like being separated from my child from like for like a day, let alone eight months. And and a child who you know you need your mom. You know, you need your mom when you're going through that. Yeah. So so we're we're definitely so to kind of go back to what your question was. Yeah, we we are definitely seeing a lot of fear in the community. A lot of community members are impacted. Um, and uh, the waiver process is um, messed up process. Only two percent um, actually go through and make it. Um, so, so it's a joke. It's absolutely a joke. And it has not. There has not been any, you know, proof that this has made our country any safer at all so th- th- this whole thing is just really um i'm um, just like with the the situation with those who are undocumented um these are are issues that are being pounced upon by the trump administration to really distract us from all the other nonsense that they're doing mm-hmm. so it's
0: i i just want to you know just very simplify this for anybody sorry. who's who's listening and tuning in and, and then we'll go to our audience if he has a question for Samina but um they basically denied the I don't know 20 over 25 30 some appeals uh, that the mother had made because simply because she's from Yemen. Mm-hmm. Is that is that right? Absolutely.
1: There was no there was no uh, threat to our country there. She posed no, you know, no terror threat, nothing to our country. Again, this whole process of just, you know, picking Yemen out, uh, it, it it. (laughs) <laughs> there, there's no reason at all for for this to be the case. Yes, I mean Yemen is going through um, a significant, you know, the, the war. I mean, like there's really a genocide that's happening in Yemen. Um, that and that's a whole other discussion as well. But our quote unquote allies in Saudi Arabia are. Are you know part of this whole thing? So I'm sure that element has something to do with why Yemen was added to the list. Again, that's a whole other discussion. But um, you know, our our administration has made lots of allies with folks who we really shouldn't be, including Saudi Arabia.
0: Yes, we could go on for another five shows with Samina, and, and we probably will call on her in the future for a different topic. But um, it's now time for a question from our audience. If you have any. No? Nope. Okay. We'll go back to John.
2: So uh, what are your, you mentioned a couple times, you know, comprehensive immigration reform, mm-hmm. and that's been kicked around for the past three presidents. Um, what's your realistic hope for that?
0: What's a
1: realistic hope? See again, because I, I I don't want to have anything piecemeal where it's like okay, we're gonna only deal with TPS you know issues and then not deal with other things, or mm-hmm. only DACA and not you know the the other whatever however many like eleven million because I think yeah. DACA recipients would have been eight hundred thousand um, from my understanding, but but so that's a really tough. Uh, question to answer because again I, I don't want to only focus on one and not focus on the others it really that's why it truly needs to be a comprehensive immigration reform is it going to happen with this administration and this Congress heck to the no it's not but um, you know that's why we need to and again I, I'm not we're a nonpartisan organization so I'm not going to say who to vote for but we want to make sure that we vote for people who are going to really stand by our principles stand by our values and make sure that we have real solutions to the problem And not just these little Band-Aid type of solutions.
2: And in fact, before you showed up, we were talking presidential candidates, no endorsement or anything like that. But is anyone out there, because there are multiple Republicans as well, on either party, is anyone talking about immigration reform?
1: Good question. I mean, I know that people are talking about, um, uh, you know, our dreamers. But again, that has not been at the forefront. Of, of the issues. Well, that's I, I kind think. Of,
2: uh, that's kind of, sorry to interrupt, but I mean, that's kind of become the easy thing for especially Democrats to bring up because mm-hmm. if they get even into broader mm-hmm. immigration reform, even parts of their coalition start to have issues with, you know, organized labor for a long time was mm-hmm. not the most, you know, pro immigration thing. So, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, I, I can see, yes, naming that, Dreamers, everyone, you know, can kind of agree on that in their coalition, but they don't have to really. Commit. i mean it's it's the easy thing for them
1: mm-hmm. i mean like like i just feel like we're it's like we're playing wh- whack-a-mole i mean it's <laughs> so many issues that are in yeah. our country you know whether it be the economy um whether it be you know our you know the the environmental degradation i mean of our policies it's it's just um there's just so much damage that's been done by this administration and we're not talking about it because we're so busy talking about like other nonsense whether it be his, ridiculous tweets or um, whether it be any of his affairs or whatever it might be. We're talking about all those issues while so many of these, um, uh, you know, Wall Street type of elements are, are, you know, in legislation that that's really um, hurting our economy. It's it's. There's just so much, <laughs> you know, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. I think more cry than anything.
2: Cry laugh.
0: <laughs> yeah. i was been cry laughing for two years. I know. Yeah, exactly. Well, you mentioned uh, the damage, um, even if there's a new administration in place in 2020 mm-hmm. and it's a hopeful, uh, 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 you know, president and, and new so, administration. So President say, Buttigieg gets in. <laughs> uh, there's so much damage that's been done. I mean, how many I, I can't imagine that it would be overnight that we could make reparations to the, to the damages i feel like it would be that person would have to sit in in office for two terms and then hopefully elect another person that continues their good work meaning mm-hmm. if the person elected was you
1: know. yeah. yeah. Oh, and then, but I think the biggest damage was our Supreme Court, you know, it's really to our Supreme Court, because that is going to impact everything, whether it be Roe v. Wade, whether it be, I mean, it, it's going to have a significant impact on everything. And so uh, I, I'm really, I, I'm really concerned about that as mm-hmm. well. So, mm-hmm. so, so again, um, I mean, we just that—that's why it's so important to vote, and that's one of the things our organization makes sure that we do, and we work with our our partners to really get at the vote, get people registered, and make sure that the, that they get to the polls. Because um, if you don't, you know, then uh, this is what happens mm-hmm. when you don't vote, and that's why you saw like the wave um, again. When I'm not making any endorsements, but um, that's why you saw such a significant um, change. In the um, you know in the election that 2018 election because people were coming out to vote because they recognize what happens when you don't vote. Mm-hmm.
2: What has voter participation historically done for American Muslims? Mm-hmm. Is it higher or lower than normal? Good normal. question. I mean, that, well, no, definitely
1: we've seen way more. Um, and I wish I could quote the the stats. We we and you could probably find that on our uh, actually probably care.com website okay. um, because I know our uh, national organization has done a survey and done a study on. Um, um, on the voter turnout. Same thing with the, I believe, the Institute for Social Policy and Understanding, ISPU. They've done uh, some great work on, on great research um, on voter turnout for American Muslims. But yes, we've seen far more. I mean, people who were just rushing to our tables to want to register to vote, um, filling out our online type of uh, rock the vote type of um Type of online uh, way to register, uh, because and people who are, uh, what's great about the state of California is that they're making it easier for young people to get registered to vote, so that when they turn eighteen, they automatically become you know registered. They don't have to, um, you know, they don't have to re-register or anything like that. So, uh, you know, we we want to make sure that our voices are heard, that we have. Uh, you know that that we're able to vote for people who are going to reflect our values, and uh, t- to make sure that you know we aren't going to have you know racist, xenophobic, Islamophobic, homophobic people elected to our presidency or to our Congress.
0: Speaking of which, I mean you know the last um, I guess wave of of progressive elected leaders the it feels like the country is moving in the right direction we did elect in the first um First ever Muslim American to Congress. No, no, no. no,
1: no. Um, so, so uh, um, we had a yeah first ever Muslim American um, to, to uh, woman to Congress. But we did have the very first was uh, Keith Ellison out of Minnesota, mm-hmm. um, and that was a few years ago. And then afterwards, the second uh, was uh, Andre Carson out of Indiana, um, and then so now Keith Ellison, of course, he's um, now the Attorney General of uh, Minnesota. But uh, so we have now um, Andre Carson. We have Rashida Talab who I was really excited to be able to chat with for an hour a couple days ago when I was in D.C., um, and then also Ilhan Omar. Um, so, yeah, she was the first ever to wear a hijab in Congress. They actually had to change the uh, the rules uh, to allow for 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 somebody to wear a scarf, which I'm really – I'm surprised that that wouldn't have even been protected because you would think right. you're – you know, if somebody wants to wear a kippah or a Sikh turban or something um, or a scarf – to congress that that should be protected by our religious protections however i guess they needed to change the laws for hats or something to that effect um to be worn in in congress but regardless anyway it's exciting to have a muslim american woman or two muslim american women who have been elected uh, to congress and and to really have their voices heard
0: yeah one of my questions, as we wind down, is really you know, talking about you and and other folks you know who are in community who are doing this type of work, and obviously it's hard and um emotional, and there are really bad days or good days, but how you keep your your hope going and I would imagine that even even though this administration is so evil and how they've impacted our communities, including the Muslim American community, that Where you find your source of like, you know, fighting back, resisting and being a voice for others in your community who are scared Mm -hmm. and whose families are torn apart, like you had mentioned, whose lives are upside down, who are seeing just, you know, despair and darkness or, you know, sometimes that might, if their light is dim, yours always has to be on and Mm -hmm. where you find that source.
1: Uh, Yes, uh, it's it's been... (laughs) A very stressful time. Uh, it's been a very stressful few years, uh, but at the same time, where do I get my hope? I get my hope in seeing um, our community, seeing our, our allies, uh, seeing folks who show up to the mosque and have their their like like uh, you know with the with the terrible the tragic events that happened in New Zealand where 50 um, people were were killed in the mosque uh, by uh, you know a, a racist um, Islamophobic gunman or g- multiple um, gunmen. Um, you know, you, you would see our neighbors uh, of other faiths um, and other backgrounds come out and show their love for the community. That's where I get my hope, um, where where I see that solidarity, where I see that solidarity of folks who you know put their hands around the the mosque. You know, they joined hands, literally joined hands, and and around and hundreds to come around the mosque. Where I have, th- that is what gives me hope. Um, and again, that working for an organization like care is almost like therapy for me because Mm -hmm. I'm able to actually put my energy and put my emotions into action instead of just uh, just sitting home and crying. I'm able to, which I've done, um, Mm -hmm. but I'm able to, you know, put my emotions, feelings into action and also partner with fellow other, you know, organizations and my other neighbors to say, hey, you know, we're going to stand together against injustice. And it's not just, uh, I'm not going to be working on policies that are affecting just us. I'm going to make sure that we stand up for justice for all. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's why uh, I think that that makes us stronger when we work together and we work with our allies and our partner organizations. um, And that's why, you know, I'm going to be advocating for making sure that we have those protections um, in Santa Clara County for those regardless of their documentation status, so i'm I'm planning to right after this, go go to the county building to advocate for that and and hopefully again on Tuesday.
0: So we'll wrap up with the the uh, going back to Berkeley and the sanctuary ordinance. So John and I were trying to look it up. And last, that we know that it was coming up for a vote. Has the vote actually happened? Or we couldn't find the outcome of that. But I know that many people...
2: Yeah, it sounds like it was originally presented in September. Is that correct? So
0: yeah. it has been pushed
1: off for mm-hmm. uh, a number of votes. And I think that um, the reason why is because there's been a lot of misinformation. First, um, when I guess some students were doing some research on, on um, what... You know how many contracts there are. It was thought to apply to a number of contracts, and it's like no, 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 no. There's just only a couple. Right. So I think that that um, made uh, put put our our um, electeds at e- to ease, and so at ease. And so um, my understanding is that it's going to be in a in a couple weeks. Um, I, but again, Lord well, knows if it's yeah. going to change or not. Oh, actually, just kidding. It's on the twenty third. Okay. Um, so uh, so that's just it's what it is up. right now. Yeah. Um, let's hope it stays on the twenty third because we've had a number of our allies and community members show up to each and every time this has come up for a vote and then it's been postponed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, we want to make sure that we get a number of people out there. Again, it's on April 23rd, as of now. Make sure to check the, uh, either the Deport ICE website um, or you know, one of our organizations, whether it be CARE or Secure Justice, is going to be posting information about this either on Facebook or on our
0: website. So make sure to check that out. Okay, I have a couple more questions before sure. we say goodbye, but I'll I'll no, no. go, go ahead. it. Okay. And they and they could be quick and uh, cuz I know that, you know, it could be another show to expand on these types of questions, but my first one is um ab- abolishing ice. Mm-hmm. There's been growing support around the idea of just abolishing ice. Mm-hmm what do you say
1: so what's interesting is that ice is not something that's been around for a long time this is like you know been God, i am again i'm terrible on dates but um it has not been around for long and and you know uh Again, the 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 way that our that ICE has been conducting itself, the abuses, um, whether it be you know when they ar- arrest you know do these mass raids um, on people's homes, or when people have been kept in these detention cells, uh, it is it's been atrocious. Uh, just this the the whole way that we're handling. Um, You know this whole process of of those who are undocumented and keeping people caged and like kids caged in these you know these cells and freezing and 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 you know children who are dying. I mean this is just terrible. So yes, uh, I I definitely am part of the abolish ice movement or the deport ice movement, whichever one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know in the Bay Area it's the deport ice, but um, but again it's. It, it, you know we really need to take a step back and rethink our whole immigration um, process and our whole immigration policies um, we can't be doing what we're doing now and, and again let me remind you that it's not um, just with this Trump administration. President right. Obama did the same thing and put kids in cages as well. A lot of the images that you've seen with the, with these kids and with these foil blankets on them, that wasn't from Trump's uh, time. It's actually from Obama's time. Yeah. I mean, he was called the deporter in chief. And so while, you know, everybody, you know, seems to, I mean, he has such a nice smile, <laughs> but <laughs> he's the deporter in chief. I'm sorry. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. so I, I know that nice smile isn't going to gonna, gonna um, make up for that at yeah. all. So we, we need to remember that. But, but. You know, uh, you know. Again, we need to just take a step back and rethink our whole immigration policies as a whole.
0: My last question, I'd I'd love to leave on a a, a good note mm-hmm. a, and a note of of all the rest of us who are tuning in and who aren't necessarily doing this work or a part of the Muslim American community uh, or immigrant community, but what we can be doing better. And I'm going to give an example. Yeah, We just talked about, right, electing the uh, first ever Muslim American woman to Congress. And now we have two Muslim American women who are elected in Congress, but spe- specifically, you know, the treatment of Representative uh, Ilan Omar mm. and the conversations around that and some of the things that she said and all these things. I don't want to get into um you know, talking about mm-hmm. the the how problematic it is to to bring up what she says and then have an opinion about it. But how we can take even understanding the treatment of her from the media, from uh, her peers, and even from those who are in the progressive community, mm-hmm. how we could be better at supporting, you know, the Muslim American community, Muslim American women in general, and, and those who are going to step into these roles of leadership. Mm-hmm. To make change, like real effective change, I think you know
1: one of the things is to to really stick to the facts because uh, I mean again, we're, as you mentioned, we're not going to go into the the situation with Elhan Omar, but but just to really stick to the facts because if you really look at what she has said or what other Muslim Americans have said and, and any other thing, you know, either we have to make sure to put things either into context and actually to look at their statements rather than to feed from conservative elements or other elements that want to that, that have an agenda for um trying to demonize american muslims and especially american muslims who are in elected office you know really look at the whole entire speech as to whatever she said, look at the context, and then make a decision. And I think that shouldn't just apply just to, I mean, this should apply to everyone, every elected official. And oftentimes, um, we might look at these little memes, or, you know, these little articles or whatnot. And yeah, like, I even would get upset. I'm like, what is this? I'm like, Oh, wait, actually, no, that's not what they said. Or, that totally look it into the context that has nothing to do with, with what was said. So, so I think um, that's the, the biggest thing is to, to really be informed, not to fall for, uh, for, for, you know, what folks want you to think, um, but to really do one's research for oneself. And that can really solve a lot of the the world's problems, not just only on, on this specific issue. Um, but, but again, you know, to, to um, we are seeing a number of American Muslims who are, um, either running for office or have actually gotten elected, even including right here in the Bay Area. Whether it be Aisha Wahab, the first ever um, Afghani um, woman to get elected. Actually, there was one across the the country who got elected at the same time, but whatever. I'm calling her the first. So, <laughs> so she, uh, so she's the first uh, woman to, Afghani woman to to get elected. We have another woman, you know. Um, um, you know, Samina Zafar in uh, San Ramon, who also did um, another woman who was uh, uh, Maimuna, she got, she was actually had her whole classroom trashed um, by, by Islamophobic children. And uh, she ended up running for for school board and she got franklin mckinney and she got elected so we're seeing people across the country but even including the bay area muslim women who are running for office and who are getting elected because you know we are part of this country we've been part of this country for generations and um one way that we can you know be even more part of it is by running for office
0: um Well, Samina Usman, thank you so much for joining us here on the program and for sharing all your knowledge and doing such incredible work. Thank you. If you'd like to support CARE, you can look them up. Uh, Samina is with the San Francisco chapter, by the way. Earlier I had mentioned that she was the government relations coordinator for the entire organization, but there are several (laughs) chapters. Yes, And and CARE stands um, for council, on American-Islamic relations. Thank you for joining us here for the program, The Michelle Miao Show. We're here every Thursday. You can check out the schedule for upcoming speakers at commonwealthclub.org slash MMS. We'll see you next time.